0: you have your Bible, smartphone, tablets, turn to Romans chapter 1. Be looking at verses 16 and 17 today. The gospel, the power of God for salvation. And we just kind of want to stay right in that passage today. And as a reminder to every one of us today, there is power in the gospel. There's power in that good news. And it's not based on whether we're eloquent, we have everything together, we're walking perfectly, it has everything to do with the gospel, the good news that God has given us to share. How many of you had an opportunity this last week to share Jesus with someone? Let me see your hands. Awesome, awesome. My prayer as your pastor is that one Sunday we come and everyone has shared the good news with someone this last Week and in that, some of the people came to Christ, which then some of them are baptized. And uh, man, what a celebration that as a body this morning, we're all sharing Jesus, the gospel, and good news with other people. You know, it's not ours to keep. Freely we received, freely we give. It's not ours to hold on to, it's ours to give out. So let's pray and then we'll dive into Romans chapter one. Father, we love you, we bless you, thank you for the transforming power of the gospel that changes our heart, a stony heart, a hard heart to a heart of flesh. Lord, that changes us from inward to outward, caring for others, helping others, meeting needs. Father, thank you. Thank you today that you, in your infinite wisdom, brought Jesus into this earth and that he was obedient unto death and he sits at your right hand today, making intercession for us here today and also each and every one of us individually, gathered together and those that are watching online. Father, thank you so much for the power of the good news that we have. Lord, help us this week to be a light in those dark places. Help us, Father, to be that love where there's hatred. Help us to be that peace where there's strife and worry. Father, we thank you today through the power of your spirit that your word speaks to us this morning. Lord, not in condemnation as TC prayed, but Lord, the good news that pierces our heart and we want to change. We want to walk different. We want to make a difference in this world for your kingdom. We thank you, Father. We love you with all our heart. and We pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. 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 In Romans 1, 16 and 17, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and to the Gentile. For it is in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith or faith for faith, as it's written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, what I want to do is just kind of give a quick snapshot of chapters 1 through 3 in Romans. Um, In verses 1 through 7 of chapter 1, Paul does a greeting. As in all of his epistles, whoever he's writing to, he always has a greeting to them. Then in verses 8 through 17, he always has a prayer of thanksgiving. I call it his apostolic prayer. His prayer of thanksgiving and remembrance of how they received the gospel and what they're doing and how they're following out the good news that they had heard. And then we come to verse 16 where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I believe verse 16 and 17 is the thesis for the book of Romans in a nutshell. Now, there's many, many things in the book of Romans. I'd encourage you to begin to read it, but I believe that Paul makes a thesis statement in verses 16 and 17 for the believers in Rome, for you and I today. In chapter one, verse 18 through 20, he establishes the problem. He tells us that the gospel is the power of God but he says, there's a reason why Jesus came and there's a problem. There's a problem with us as mankind. And, um, and the fact that we are all guilty, all of us, We did. we're not righteous. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. He talks about in chapter two, verses one through 16, about God's judgment. Because of man's sin, because we are sinners, there is a judgment. And then he also talks about those who rely upon the law, that through the law, that they'll be saved in chapter 2, 17, through chapter 3, verse 8. And the conclusion in chapter 3 of Romans is this. None of us are righteous. None of us. None of us are good enough None of us could be moral enough. We are lost apart from the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And so he comes to that point in chapter 3 and and helping the Romans understand this isn't a work. This is a gift, a grace gift that has been given to you by our Father. And so he also talks about in chapter 3, verse 21, through 31, that we have sinned, but we are justified by grace. We're justified by God's grace through faith. And it's nothing that we can do, Ephesians says, so that we can boast. The gospel that we've received has nothing to do with what we have done. It has everything to do with what Jesus did. And the Jews and the Gentiles are in the same boat as you and I. We have 44 tribes here in Kenya. We're all in the same boat, that we need a savior. We need to receive the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So we come to verse 16 and he says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. How could Paul say that? you remember before he became Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus. He went around persecuting Christians, even having them killed. But what changed it all? In Acts, he's on the road to Damascus to go and persecute Christians. And there he encounters Jesus. He encountered Jesus Christ And it transformed his life and the call of God to go to the Gentiles. He suffered much. But the reason why Paul could say that I'm not ashamed of the gospel is because he encountered Jesus. What I've found over my years of ministry is this. We become ashamed of the gospel at Jesus when we've not had transformation in our heart. You know, with one group, we're like a chameleon. We go, praise the Lord, thank you, Jesus. But then we move over here and a whole nother group and we change a color to fit in with who we are because if they really knew that I went to church or that I was a Christian, they might make fun of me or they might reject me. But Paul didn't care what anybody thought about the gospel. He didn't care who he was with. As his habit, he would go into the cities and go into the synagogue and preach the good news that whom they crucified is the Messiah. Many of them rejected him. Many times he was stoned, he was beaten, he was left outside the city gates for dead. But he would go back in and then he would go to the Gentiles and preach this gospel, this transforming gospel. And because he encountered Jesus on that road to Damascus, he is able to say, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of who I am as a child of God. I'm not ashamed that Jesus is Lord and Savior. You know, today it's politically incorrect to talk about Jesus to say anything. It's politically incorrect to show your faith and to be demonstrative and to share Jesus. In John, the apostle John writes this, verse one, that which was from the beginning, he's talking about Jesus, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Now, I've never seen Jesus. I know um, right now many Muslims are having visions and dreams, And Jesus is appearing to them in their dreams. It's miraculous. It's supernatural. I've never seen Jesus. I've never seen God. So how do you know the reality of the gospel? How do you know this gospel that we preach if we've never seen God? If we've never seen Jesus, how do we know? You and I are the living testimonies. We're the living epistles that people read to determine whether this gospel is real, whether it's true, whether we really believe what we say and preach and talk about. They're watching us because our hearts have been transformed by this gospel. In Acts chapter two, The 120 are in the upper room. The Holy Spirit falls, tongues of fire upon them. They begin speaking in tongues. They go out to the crowd and they preach the first gospel. In verse 37, it says, and they were pierced in their heart. They were pricked in their heart and they cried out, what must we do to be saved? And Peter gave him the message, repent and be baptized for the remissions of your sin and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus had gone and they were viewing, the crowd was viewing the power of God manifested through these apostles. Today, tomorrow, the next day, wherever we're at, wherever we go, we are the manifest presence of Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? You and I are that manifest presence. So what they may see in us may be a religious Jesus, they may see a legalistic Jesus, they may see a carnal Jesus. Are you ashamed of the gospel? Are you afraid what people will think of you? When I came to Christ and in my teen years, I came to a crossroads in my life. I came to a point where I had to decide, will I serve Jesus 100% or will I continue living a life of sin? I thank God that through the Holy Spirit, He spoke to my heart, I repented, I confessed my sins and I turned to Him. And because of that, (laughs) they called me preacher boy, which that's not bad. They called me Jesus freak, and that's not bad. I'm kind of glad to be a Jesus freak. Preacher boy, I don't know about that one, but all of a sudden I was ostracized because I would talk about Jesus with anyone and everyone. These guys at one time that I smoked pot with I'm now telling them about Jesus. This group that I used to drink with, now I'm telling them of how Jesus changed my life, how he transformed me. Was I perfect? Absolutely not. But I wasn't ashamed in the school cafeteria, on the streets. Wherever I was at, I was witnessing and sharing of that good news, that gospel. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Notice, it is the power of God for salvation. It's the power of God for salvation. The gospel does not rest on you and I. It doesn't rest on our logic, eloquent speech, the ability to debate and put, uh, bring people in their right place. It is through the power of God that he uses us as a conduit. This morning, put your hand out like this, okay? A conduit, like if they're running electricity in your wall, they put the wire in a conduit. The wire goes in and comes out, We are conduits for God's power, because we can't do it. We're not powerful enough. We need Jesus with everything that we have to say, Lord, fill me. Ephesians 5.18, right? It says, do not be drunk with wine, for this is debauchery, but be what? Filled filled with the Holy Spirit, then you'll begin to speak, you'll begin to sing, you'll begin to take action so that people will know that Jesus is Lord and Savior. It's not to fill me so I can fill the goosebumps. It's not to fill me so I can, oh, I got these spiritual goosebumps. It's so to empower me to be used as a vessel that God will speak through me and the power of God moves through a yielded vessel, you. Every one of us, when we yield ourselves to God, God uses us, fills us. When someone gets saved, when someone gets healed, when someone gets delivered, I know that it's not me. I can't even pop the head off a peanut. I have no power. But Christ in me, which is the hope of glory, fills me to overflowing the good news which transforms my heart I don't want to keep it in I don't want to hold it in I want to share it amen it's good news you all it's better news than what we're seeing on tv in the newspapers this is the news that will transform transform lives Paul not only saw the power of God operate in his own life, he saw it in the lives of thousands. I wanna ask you today, don't raise your hand. Have you ever led anybody to Christ? Have you ever shared Jesus and shared the gospel with someone? Have you been a Christian for 10, 15, 20 years? and never shared Jesus? You know, when I got engaged to Pam, back when Noah was living, (laughs) a long time ago, I remember the day I was gonna propose. I bought this ring, she still wears it, the wedding ring, it had a little diamond, but to me, it was a huge diamond was all I could afford at the time and I had planned it somewhat kind of off the cuff how I was gonna propose and after she said yes I never told anybody else not true I went around telling everybody I'm engaged. I'm getting married to the most beautiful woman. I am so lucky. You know, and I wasn't ashamed to be engaged to my wife. Matter of fact, I was quite proud. And when Jesus transforms our heart, it's like that, but even greater, we have something that the world desperately needs. They need Jesus. And God's plan to accomplish the good news was you and I. It's the church. If the church doesn't do it, who's going to do it? I'll tell you who's going to do it. The witches, the warlocks, the demon-possessed. They'll spread the news because Satan is the prince of this earth. He walks around prowling whom he may desire. He's not ashamed to bring lies to you. How much more should we bring truth? The Word of God is alive and active. Hebrews 4.12 says that the Word of God is alive. We, because the Word of God is Jesus, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so it is alive and active. It's not some dead book with paper and leather around it. It is alive and breathing. It's like a two-edged sword able to divide soul and spirit, joints and morrows, even to the point of judging the intents and thoughts of our hearts today. God's word is alive and active. God's word goes out. It says God's word goes out and it does not return back to God void. So it's alive, it's active, and it's not based on whether you're, you're pumped up, it's not whether, it's, whether you're eloquent in your speech. Some of the greatest evangelists of all times were the worst speakers. They weren't eloquent in speech, but they had a fire and passion to ser- share Jesus with people. And as the word of God goes out, here's what's so cool. So this week, you're walking along, or you're at your office or wherever you're at, and God starts speaking to you. He says, why don't you go over there and talk to that person. After you rebuke the devil and say, no, that's not you, God, that's the devil, I rebuke this. You go, okay, God, what do you want me to do? Just go over and say hi. Can you all say hi? hi. It's that simple. How are you today? And now this is where it can get scary because you can get rejected. It might beat you up. It might steal your phone. You say, hi, I'm a Christian. And I just wondered if I could pray for you. Now, for some of you right now, I hear your knees knocking. You're going like, You just say, Can I pray for you? You know, when I go to restaurants, I get ready a lot of times. I'll say, Hey, we're going to eat. Is there anything I can pray for you? Remember one time we were at Chili's restaurant in um, Concord, North Carolina, and the waitress came up and I said, Hey, we're getting ready to eat. Is there anything that we can pray for you? And she said, Yeah, my brother, he needs healing in his leg. I said, okay, let's just pray. Let's ask God to heal his leg. A couple weeks later we were in and she was waiting on us and she came up and she had this big grin on her face and she said, guess what? I said, what? She goes, my brother's leg was healed. I go, that's right. I got the power. I didn't say that. It was God. But it was just a yielded vessel. And so he says to us, that we are the carriers of that good news, the word goes forth through our life, then the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Pam and I came out of a legalistic church, and we thought that it was our job to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Any of you ever been there? It was our job to make them repent, make them turn to God. And so we condemned them, manipulated them, controlled them, and then we had a revelation. It was God's responsibility. And so the word goes out and then the power of God for salvation speaks to their heart. And some say yes and some say no. But it's God, our responsibility is to water, plant seeds just think I don't know how many here this morning if this week just one time this week every one of us planted a seed or watered what would happen and I'm not talking about religion I'm not saying hey come to church I'm saying we're talking about Jesus people need to come to Jesus not the church I should have got an amen on that they become a part of the church we've been bringing people and saying come to our service we got such a great service come and we never talk about jesus it is about him it is totally about him that brings salvation so the power of god for salvation moves in their heart and their life is changed notice i'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of god for salvation for everyone galatians says there's neither male nor female jew nor greek slave nor free but all are one in christ jesus as i said earlier we have 24 or 44 tribes we're all equal I know that doesn't always happen and I know there's tribal wars and difficulties with all that, but when we are born again, the gospel is for everyone. It is for the president of Kenya as well as the mama that's in Kibera. There is no distinction. There is no favoritism. The gospel is for everyone. Now here's the catch. He says, for those who believe. Now, as I go around Nairobi, surrounding areas, part of my personality, being an expert, I talk to anybody and everybody. And I just talk to him. I say, hey, have you heard about Jesus? Oh, yeah, yeah, everybody knows about Jesus. We love God. Yeah, we love God. And it, what's interesting that I've noticed is it quickly gets off of Jesus and goes to God. Have you noticed that? because Jesus is the dividing line. Jesus is the one that makes nations fight against nations. Jesus is the one that upsets people because he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God except through me. When you tell someone the only way you're gonna get to God and go to heaven is through Jesus Christ, they get ticked. You ever had anybody mad at you? But again, we're not ashamed of the gospel. I didn't say that, you didn't write it, God wrote it. It's for everyone who believes. Now, you can talk to a lot of people all throughout Nairobi and they'll tell you they believe in God. But the word for believe here, it means to put one's faith in or trust in. It also is the idea of an implication that actions based on that trust or faith will follow. There are many people that say, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, but they do not follow through with actions. The heart of God is to care for the the poor, the widows and the orphans. It's to love our brothers as we love ourselves. It's to forgive as we've been forgiven. Those are the actions that follow. If we say we're believers here today, and we say we believe this gospel, then there will be corresponding actions in our life. Do you hear me? Husbands, you will love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives, you will love, uh, submit to your husbands out of respect and reverence. Children will obey their parents as this is right of the, uh, in the Lord. We'll raise up our children in the way of the Lord, the bent that they are, the way that God has fashioned and formed them. It's like the father in Mark 9 that came to Jesus and asked him to heal. How many of you, since you've been born again, have ever doubted? See your hands. Every one of us have doubted in one way or another. It doesn't mean once you doubt that you've lost your salvation because here he's talking about an ongoing process. Initially, there is the belief of salvation, putting our faith and trust in Jesus, and then we continue to walk out that faith. That's why the father said to Jesus I believe Jesus that you can heal my son but help my unbelief it doesn't mean there'll be times where you'll hit a valley of darkness and you struggle through it doesn't mean that you got everything together now that you believe because he who began a good work in us is going to carry it to completion It's an ongoing process. But what I want you to see, the gospel is for everyone and the evidence of a transformed life is their actions follow what they say they believe. There are many, many people in churches that their actions don't line up with what their voice says. And the Bible tells us the wheat and tares grow up in the church. And to leave them there until the day of harvesting. And he'll separate the wheat and the tares. It's not our job. And then in verse 17, he says, For in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it's written, the righteous shall live by faith the righteousness of God. When God speaks, or Paul speaks of God's righteousness, it can be one of two things, and scholars differ on this. It could be talking about the character and nature of God as being righteous. Or it could be talking about the righteousness that God imputes, that he gives to us. Because our righteousness is like Filthy rags, Isaiah says. But God robes us in his righteousness. We are made right. I don't think it's one or the other, I think it's both. God is righteous. There's no wrong in him at all. Never, from the very beginning to the very end, he is righteous. He does what is right, that's his nature. But he also imputes righteousness to us because he knows we couldn't earn it, we don't deserve it, so he gives it to us as a free gift. And it says here, the righteousness is revealed. It's a revelation. It's not just some fact you check off, but God reveals in your heart in my heart that it is from faith to faith. God brings that revelation to us and we begin to see and know of God's goodness, his righteousness, and that he is imputed a righteousness to us, and we walk as sons and daughters. But it also requires faith on our part to see what God has revealed, the truth of the gospel, the good news for you and I. It is through faith that we experience this righteousness. In Hebrews chapter 11, it's known as the faith chapter. It's known as, you know, the great heroes of the faith. But verse one says this, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for. And it is the assurance about what we do not see. We put our trust in God's word. We put our trust in Christ Jesus we put our trust in who God is his character and our nature and then as we say yes to him we begin this faith walk it's a journey you know in high school I used I used to do track and one of the things they would make us do everybody is run a mile or two how many of you are long distance runners in here God forgive you. <laughs> my, my older brother was a marathon runner. Even, this is how crazy runners are, long-distance you know, long runners. He gets married. On his honeymoon night, he goes out for a mere six-mile jog. I'm going, you're an idiot. <laughs> That's the last thing in my mind. Bible study is what I was thinking about <laughs> but I, I was a 100, 100 meters 220 type of guy after that <laughs> yeah, but I wasn't much good but you know life isn't a sprint it's a marathon and it's by faith that we take hold of this in the disappointments in the discouragements that we know God is who He says He is. We know Jesus did what He came to do, and we know that we've been born again, that we have the gift of the Holy Spirit that has been put in us and sealed as a deposit of the guarantee. But it is by faith that we walk out this righteousness Proverbs says, though we fall, how many times? Seven times. We get back up. How do we get back up? We get back up by faith. Not on our own ability, well, I'm gonna pull myself up by my bootstraps. We say, God, help me. I'm weak. I need you to come. Holy Spirit, fill me, direct me, lead me. And God does that, he fills us. And the power of God operates through us and in us. You see, what God wants to do is first in you. He wants to work in you first and work in. It's always on the inside. I'm gonna have to call the airport and tell them to hold it between 10 and 11.30. But it's that inward working, that's inward wrestling. What does it mean? How does it look like in my life? The wrestling with all this stuff and as we wrestle through it, eventually it comes out of us and it becomes a blessing to others because we've walked through that scenario. You know, my heart has been really, really heavy for Malcolm and Bella. When I went to North Carolina as the executive pastor, the very first hospital call I ever made was I went to the hospital and a couple gave birth to a stillborn baby. The anguish, the heartache, words are not adequate. So we just stood next to him and we wept and we comforted. Can the world do that? Can the world offer a mom and dad hope that one day they'll see that baby? I've had to experience that several times over the years. And I'm telling you, that's where the faith in God's word, faith in the character and nature of God, and that God is the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end, the first and the last. You and I are just on this parade, and we just see from where we're standing. But God sees it all. And I can trust that. I can trust that he's faithful. I can trust that he's gonna do what he says he's gonna do. He says, but the righteous shall live by faith. Paul is quoting from Habakkuk 2.4, and the prophet is comparing, he contrasts proud people with people of faith. Habakkuk said, the spirit of proud people, it's not right but the spirit of the righteous will live by faith. And throughout the book of Galatians, Paul talks about that. He quotes Habakkuk 2.4, and he says, we shall live by faith. Today, there is power in the name of Jesus, as we sang, to break every chain, Either we believe that or we don't. Either we submit to that or we go to the way the world's logic and thought is. There's power in the gospel. Listen, never sell yourself short or your testimony. That's why we started having testimonies when we hear what God is doing and the work, it encourages us to say, yes, we can do it too. If the worship team would come up. Paul says the gospel, it's, it's the power of God for salvation. There is no hope apart from Jesus. Please hear me, I said it last week. No man comes, or woman, comes to the Father except through Jesus. No one. That's why Jesus is controversial. That's why people hate Jesus. Everybody can talk about God, and God's a Father, and He loves us, but you start talking about Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, It divides families, it divides nations, it's divided our world. But what God is looking for is a group of people that are not ashamed of the gospel. You're not ashamed of the gospel. I don't care if people call me Jesus freak, preacher boy. I don't care if they say you've lost your mind. I did lose my mind and I got it renewed. That's why this message of the gospel in the next several weeks is so critical. Churches today are talking about being relevant. There's no relevancy without the gospel. There's no relevancy without the good news. Giving people hope. All the other stuff are just those fog machines that you see on the stage. It's just fog and it disappears. There's no substance. There's no hope. But people come, they get hyped up, they get excited, and then they leave. And because there's no real substance, nothing of faith that they hold on to and guide them, they falter and they fail. Parents, your job is to teach the gospel to your children and to live it and let them see what a living gospel looks like and how you walk it out in your jobs. You're to be the living epistle that people read. There's a poem that says, I'd rather see a sermon any day than hear one. People are looking for authenticity. They're looking for transparency. And people are hungry for the power of God. You know, it says in Acts, and daily they added to the church. Why aren't we seeing people coming to Christ? Maybe we've become comfortable. Maybe we've become satisfied with coming to an hour and a half service, singing a few songs, hear a message, and going, and then start our other routines. Maybe we haven't had our hearts pierced with this gospel. When's the last time you were broken for someone that's lost? Someone that you know today, if they were to die, they'd be eternally lost. And I don't say that to try to condemn you. I'm trying to say, I'm as guilty. Most longer you become Christian, your non-christian friends become a distant memory. One of my goals weekly is to find someone that isn't saved and become a friend. Invite them to have coffee. (laughs) To be honest with you, sometimes I don't like hanging out with Christians because they can be fake and phony They want to ponder the deep mysteries of God, but they don't want to go next door to their neighbor. We've been called. We've been called to share this powerful gospel of Jesus Christ. So stand with me. I want to pray in just a minute. This morning, as I was going over my message and praying, I felt the Lord say, ask the body today for a name, just a name of a person that you may know that's lost. And maybe you don't know of anybody around you that's lost, then ask God to open up a door for you to meet someone that's lost this week. So I want you just to think, maybe there's a name of a person, maybe it's a relative. Listen, I'm telling you, the hardest people to witness to are families, but maybe that's who God wants you to go and talk to. And here's what I'm I'm asking, that we just say, Lord, open the door, use me and let the Holy Spirit fill you and lead you. Now I'm gonna tell you, the enemy's gonna bring fear and he's going to, you're gonna start thinking, who am I? I don't know the whole Bible. Nobody knows the whole Bible, but you have a testimony. If Jesus has transformed your heart, you have a testimony. You have something of value and worth because you received it from the Lord by faith. And your righteousness isn't anything you've done. You didn't earn it, God gave it to you. So I want you just, as, as they're playing, just think of a person. Maybe their, their face comes to your mind, maybe a name. And then this week, I just simply ask you, let God use you because it's the power of God. When you in obedience simply step out, behold, the power of God begins to work in their heart. And maybe God may wanna use you this week just to plant the seed. Maybe somebody else has planted that seed and you're to water that seed. I believe, I don't believe God sent the COVID, but I believe God wanted the church to wake up and be used during this last year to bring the good news. I believe God wanted the church to wake up and shake everything that can be shaking in the church. And start being the church, not playing church. And that's been my prayer for KVC since the first day of COVID. That the gospel is not hindered because we're no longer in four walls, a matter of fact, we were taken out of the four walls so that the church might expand and reach this lost and dying world. I'm guilty as your pastor. There's times I knew the Holy Spirit was saying, talk to them, but I was too busy, had more important things I thought And I'm trying to be more intentional when I hear that small, still voice of the Holy Spirit just to obey and watch what God does and to see him move and to touch lives and hearts. So I'm asking you as your pastor this week, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Second Timothy one says, for he's not given you a spirit of fear. Listen, I taught evangelism explosion for years. We had a whole section on how to handle objections and you can have it down. You can know it perfectly, but if you let the enemy move you with fear, you'll never step out. You know what the hardest door to go through is? The hardest door to go through is your own door, to step out and just be obedient and say, okay, God, use me. I'm here to tell you today, God wants to use each and every one of you. It's not my job as the pastor. It's part of what I'm supposed to do, but it's the body. It's the body that realized and had a revelation that it is the power of God that melts the hardest of hearts, that takes them, as Isaiah says, out of that dungeon of darkness and brings them to the light and that light just cancels out that darkness. And to see that life being transformed and renewed by the power of God is an amazing thing because we know it's not us but it's the Father working in and through us for the good news. Let's pray.